It's a great opportunity and glad to be here today. And it's been, uh, been a joy to uh, talk with a number of you and, and get to know some of you, hear your heart uh, for the Lord. And I'm encouraged to uh, see uh, young people that are interested in serving the Lord their time. It's, it's been um, quite a busy week from every, everything from uh, Chinese and talking about Greek and Bible translation and everything else. But, but it, the highlight of the week thus far has to be scratch and sniff vocabulary cards. Now, we won't, won't tell you where that came from this morning, but uh, that uh, is a real treat. So <laughs> turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And, and maybe at first you think of this passage, you don't think of a, a miss, uh, missions application or missions message. It's a very uh, familiar passage. Um, and so I hope it's a blessing to you today, and I think it definitely has an application. It's, it's really a message first and foremost about prayer. Because we need prayer in our lives. We need that communication with our Lord in order to see anything accomplished. And it's, it's sad that we have such a tool of communication with God himself, and most of us don't avail ourselves of it as we ought to. But in order to see God's work accomplished, we need to. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6, verse number 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture and I ask that you would work in our hearts today and through it. Bless each of these students here and ask that you just encourage them in this matter of prayer and for the goal of doing that in their lives that you desire to accomplish. And we praise you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a familiar passage, of course. And I think it's interesting. There's, there's two things here. One, one is uh, in the passage in Luke uh, 11, verse number 1. Remember, his disciples asked him, and they said, Teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And uh, so that, that connects in a way to how the passage that we just read starts in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the common practice was to pay attention to your teacher, your rabbi, your uh, your mentor, you know, there, and often you'd hear how he how he prayed. Have any have any of you ever heard someone pray and you think, man, I wish I could pray like that? Right? You've been there, and I think we've all been there before. And of course, sometimes all it is is just words, right? Sometimes all it is is hot air intended to impress others, and that's precisely what Jesus is dealing with there in Matthew chapter six, using not vain repetitions. And they think they should be heard for their much speaking, right? And that's not what real prayer is, of course. What's interesting to me, though, we have this concept to not use vain repetitions. And yet Jesus did not rebuke the disciples there. They said, you know, we, some of them had heard John pray. I imagine that John prayed differently 
from others in the nation at the time, don't you? And uh, no doubt they said, hey, we, we want to learn how to pray like that. Lord, can you teach us how to pray? I and mean, Jesus had actually just been praying. And so he didn't rebuke them as far as trying to model their prayer life after uh, the one that they looked up to. But he gave them sort of a pattern for prayer. Now, we could use a lot of passages in the New Testament, uh, even throughout the, the scriptures, on how to pray, right? And the examples that we have. But this one, I think, will be a blessing to us this morning uh, for several reasons. And I, I trust it will be. So he says, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. You think of this passage of scripture. Right? People are capable of messing up literally anything they come in contact with. You ever notice that? So the very prayer that Jesus models for them to not be vain repetitions is a prayer that we all know is used in liturgy in churches around the world that there are false churches and they use it just as a vain, repetitious thing that they pray and they know nothing about. And, and that's exactly the model that Jesus said, don't do. Instead, pray like this. Isn't that something? We can just mess up everything. And, and we need real prayer and the Holy Spirit working in our lives to keep us in balance, really. So when we think about this passage here, then clearly he has something else uh, intended for us to see. And quickly, on, on vain repetition, all, all of us have been at times, uh, we, we've had circumstances in our life where we didn't know what to pray for, right? Lord, please bless brother so-and-so in Tanzania, and you know his needs today. I don't know them, but you do. Uh, protect him in his ministry and so on. And then the next day, we still don't know what to pray, but, but he's still in our hearts, and, and we pray exactly the same thing, right? Am I being repetitious? No. How do we avoid re- vain repetition? It's pretty simple. Mean what you pray, right? Mean what you pray. It can be the same words. That's okay. Just mean it, right? Come to the Lord with, in, with the heart that you care for that person and you care about your communication with the Lord, and it's not vain repetition. Amen? So we should have a practice of prayer. If Jesus, who was one with the Father, who had constant communication with the Father, thought it important to have a practice of prayer, I think we should too. Right? And more and more as we see the day approaching, we need to um, learn to love that time of prayer. Another way to have vain repetition, of course, all of us have busy schedules. And, um, do any of you feel like you have a light, easy schedule? I'm sure no, no one is like that here. Uh, you, you feel like you're running ragged all the time. Uh, and sometimes you just have to fit it in in a certain uh, spot on your daily schedule, don't you? To fit in some time of prayer. But... We, we need to avoid it being just a sense of ritual. We want our hearts to be inclined unto the Lord, right? When it, we want it to be that it's our, our natural inclination. We, we are struggling with something. We have, have a thought. We, we want the Lord to correct in our hearts, whatever it may be, a burden there. We want it to be our natural inclination to say, Lord, help me with this, right? Lord, and whatever the prayer might be, you go immediately to him instead of first look at your own strength and first look at your own understanding, right? So in this passage here, we can look at point by point, and I think we can learn something from each of these. Number one, as Jesus says, our Father. Right? Very simple, our Father. But that speaks of our relationship with God. Doesn't that give us the whole foundation which we can approach him on? 
And this is an important one to the Lord himself. He values this connection to us, his children. If, if you want to hear God speak to you, how, how does he do that principally? Through the word of God, right? If you'd like to hear him speak out loud to you, read his word out loud. Amen? So, <laughs> but it, isn't it a shame, it, anyone in here who is a father, and I think you'll experience this uh, as the Lord gives you spouses and, and children, you know, it's really a shame to be communicative to your children and then them never speak to you. Right? Now, he's our father, and this is an important relationship to him that we communicate back to him. How do we speak to the Lord? We do that through prayer, don't we? So this is a part of that. And for fathers, I, I know Brother Bracelin mentioned that 98% of hearing fathers don't learn sign language, that, you know, that have a deaf child don't learn sign language. That is just a, a kind of a crushing thought to me. And, and that is, we recognize that human fathers are really often very selfish. Uh, they often do things only as, like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 11 reminds us, uh, our fathers have chastened us for their own pleasure. Right? Sometimes they uh, just get annoyed, right? And, and, and they, they might get mad at us just because they're annoyed today. They, they're too busy for us or something like that. But that's not our Father in heaven. That's not our Heavenly Father. That is our own selfishness as fathers, in, in, humanly speaking. So, in, in fact, the role of a father is an important one. And think about this as the Lord leads you in life. If he gives you a spouse and children, that how your children see you has a big deal and to do with how they're going to view God. You know, a lot of people struggle to see God as their father because their own fathers have not been the father they need to be, often abusive, often neglectful, and so on. But that is not our father in heaven. So this relationship is actually unique to genuine believers. Islam rejects the notion that God is a father. Buddhism has no such um, idea at all in its religion. Cults like Mormonism that uh, use the term just twist it beyond recognition. And in fact, only a genuine believer can experience and come to truly understand that God and heaven is their father. You can, I apologize if you're taking notes, I'm going to just go through this list quickly, but if, you, um, if you're searching through Bible software and so on, you can see that and there's a list of things here, um, and I'll just briefly read them with some references, and you can look them up later. But in connection with God as our Father, there's a number of things the Scripture tells us. Matthew 5.16 tells us that the love of our Father supernaturally produces good works in us. Matthew 5, 45 through 48 says the father is impartial in his goodness toward men. Matthew 6, 1 through 6 says the father delights in rewarding his children. According to Matthew 6, 8, the father knows all his children's needs and provides for them. Matthew 13, 43 says the father has promised to exalt his children, to shine as the sun in his kingdom. The father gives good gifts to his children. In Luke eleven forty three, in fact, it says he gives to us his Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad for that? The father is eager to forgive his children who have strayed. Luke 15, we have the whole parable of the prodigal son. He is the father of all his saints, according to Romans 1, verse 7. He gives grace and peace, just the opening lines of a number of the epistles, 1 Corinthians 1, 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, and so on. 
The Father is our deliverer, according to Galatians 1.4. He has made us heirs, Colossians 1.12. The Father watches over his children in all that they do, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. And he puts love in his children's hearts for one another and establishes them, according to 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. And finally in this list, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17, the Father comforts his children and guides us in all we do and say. So this relationship here between us and our Father in heaven is an important one. The second point, of course, follows immediately in heaven. So well, God is omnipresent, right? And in fact, the psalmist said no matter where he goes, he can't escape the presence of God. But he is in heaven, and this is the focus of our attention. The things of God are not the things of this earth. We are reminded that this earth is under a curse, awaiting its own redemption and restoration. And when we are distracted by everything in this life, our vision becomes greatly impaired, does it not? Matthew six nineteen through 21, you're very familiar with that passage. The, to sum it up, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your, what? Your heart be also. Even more importantly, our help and sustenance comes from God in heaven. Psalm 123, verse 1 to 2, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Of course, this passage has a number of kingdom applications and uh, implications, but um, it's also something that comes up in the Pauline epistles and uh, New Testament doctrine, very specifically Ephesians. Uh, has it often. In verse, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, where? In heavenly places in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6 of Ephesians, He's raised us up together and made us sit together, where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And in fact, Jesus Christ himself is now exalted where? In heaven, right? He's at the right hand of God. And far above all, principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's there to intercede for us. Aren't you glad for that? And when we don't know what to pray, when we, when we fail, the Lord is there himself interceding. And he's in heaven there. Philippians 3, verse 17 through 21. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is where? In heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The third point is that God's name is holy, right? Hallowed be thy name. 
The Father is absolutely holy. We always remember that when we come to Him. We, that's, that's part of the reason we examine ourselves before we come in prayer. But you know what? If you examine yourself and you find yourself wanting, what's the answer? You go to Him in prayer anyway, because He's the only one that can fix it. And you're commanded to pray. Don't use some excuse. Say, well, I'm not worthy to come before the Lord and pray. Well, that's exactly what He wants you to do. That's what He commands you to do. Why add disobedience on top of your other issues, right? So go to Him in prayer and ask Him to straighten you out, right? So His name is holy. In Isaiah 12, verse 4 through 6, here's a passage that really should have resonated with them. I imagine it did for many of them. In that day shall you say... Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Guess where He was at the time, right? Where was Jesus at the time? He was in the midst of them. So when He mentions this about the Father's name being exalted then this should really have come to their minds. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So his name is holy, right? What have we seen so far? He's our father. It's our relationship. That gives us the basis in which to come to him. He is in heaven. Our focus is not on things of the earth, but our focus is on heavenly things as we come to him. And he is holy. So we approach him in that manner. So what are our requests then? We are, first of all, seeking the kingdom, right? And we recognize that the kingdom is going to come after he's taken, out the, taken the church off, off, out of this earth. And God's going to uh, begin that prophetic clock again with the nation of Israel there. And he's ready to bring in his kingdom. And the ultimate king is going to come and set foot upon the earth and establish his kingdom. But the prayer is, thy kingdom come. That's important to us too. You know that every issue that we face today is going to be fixed when the king comes. You know that? And every political problem, every issue that we have on, on planet earth is going to be taken care of. He is going to change all of this. So even though we know there's some time yet to come, hopefully this is soon, right? But our desire should be that the kingdom is coming. This is our future hope, our expectation, and our desire. So what a simple statement, but what a profound Request Upon this rest the fulfillment of all the Father's purposes, the establishment of righteousness and peace upon the earth. From the viewpoint of the body of Christ, while our promises are not the same as Israel, we still have a future desire. We have already read some of these. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Right? From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. These are the things to come. And I, and I wonder, I think many Christians in our day and age here in the United States actually have very little interest in the coming kingdom. Of, of God upon the earth. So what about you today? 
Is that your priority as you come before the Lord, that God's kingdom come? And the next, of course, follows this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this, that, that his kingdom come is our future expectation, that his will be done on earth can actually be our present expectation. We recognize, of course, that the world system, you want a good definition of the world? I'll give you a good definition of the world today, a nice working um, definition for your dictionary. The world is that system guided by men's flesh that is intent on keeping God's will from happening upon the earth. It's exactly the opposite. It doesn't matter if it's uh, government today, if it's education, if it's media, um, you name it. You see everything coming down the pike. You see all, all of the CRT stuff and all of this stuff going on. The world system is specifically dedicated to keep God's will from being done on the earth. But our prayer is that His will be done. We know it's not going to be done as it is in heaven, until the kingdom comes, right? Until Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. But it is absolutely appropriate to pray that God's will be done upon the earth. We know what God's will is in our own lives. Our beliefs, our behavior, our walk, our relationships, all of these things are the principal foundation. We say, what is God's will in my life? God's will is my holiness, my sanctification, right? My fleeing from sin, these things are God's will in my life. The next thing is our our relationships, right? If God gives you a spouse, what kind of spouse are you supposed to be? And it's laid out clearly in the scriptures. These things are God's will. Often we we, uh, spend a lot of time paying attention to what God wants us to do five years down the road, but we forget about what God wants us to do today. How should we reply in our conversations? How should we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ? How should we look for opportunities to get the gospel out? And so on. These things are God's will. We ought to seek that God's will be done in our lives. You know, people are the only creatures that God made who uh, refuse most of the time to do the will of God. You know that? And that God's creation actually performs His will. Even under the state of the curse, it, it generally does what God intends for it to do. But people are the ones who resist the will of God. So it is certainly correct for us to pray for the Father's will to be done on earth. So as Pastor Van Gelderen already was talking about, we, we need to be in prayer. We, we need to be in prayer for this uh, election coming up. We need to be in prayer for our, our um, uh, officials. We need to be in prayer for the, the entire situation that we have in America. And it is absolutely appropriate to do that. It is what we are commanded to do is to pray that God's will be done now, right? Is it God's will that babies are murdered every day? Right? Absolutely not. Is it, is it God's will then for, uh, for these things to be corrected? Of course it is. May, may, may God give us the mercy in our nation to give us the time to continue to serve him and give us the ability to do that, the continued freedoms to do that. Next, if you notice, give us our daily bread, right? You notice how our daily needs, how far down the list our daily needs are in this? So when we come in prayer, that, that should never be our first, and you've, you've heard others say this, it should not be our first concern that, that our daily needs be met. However, aren't you glad that our Father, remember He's our Father? 
You know, if you're a father, you, you really should care about the daily needs of your children, right? And he certainly does. I am glad that he does. And uh, I can give testimony after testimony of God providing uh, for us on the mission field and so on. Number seven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, of course, here's, here's a point in, in this time period that looks a little different at first, right? Because it, it looks as though if you don't do that, you're going to miss the coming kingdom, right? We know that we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We're sealed into the day of redemption. We know that our debts are completely paid. We see the heart of our Father in this, don't we? We see forgiveness as an absolute necessity in our lives. When we come to the Lord in prayer, how can, how can, we, how can we confidently come when, when we have bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives. We don't do very well, do we? we? We're confident that our debts have been paid and our heart should be just what our Father's heart is, and that is forgiveness unto others. Finally, we have keeping and delivering from temptation. This is most likely a very literal sense, probably the tribulation prophecies in view. You think of, of the fact that at this point in time, the New Testament had uh, the church age had not been revealed yet, and their expectation is that the Messiah is going to come. Their expectation is that the prophecies of the tribulation period are going to take place, and the passage in uh, Revelation three ten, and this is to the church at Philadelphia: "Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation." which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. In 2 Peter 2.9, talking about Lot being removed from Sodom and Gomorrah, says, The Lord knows, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to, del- to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And the word, of course, is the same as what we're accustomed to thinking, right? Temptation as, as being tempted to sin and so on. We know from James 1.13, God does not tempt any man to sin. So this, this prayer here specifically, I think, has a good application for us today. And there is a fortress mentality in our nation. We're going, we're going to be faithful and stand in the spot that we're at. And we're just going to, um, we're going to have a lot of hot air about uh, the evils around us. But we're not going to continue and take the opportunities we have today to see the gospel go out. And to see missions go out. And, and sadly, I, I even know of some of our own supporting churches in our ministry where we go. And we see that they're faltering. These churches are, are really faltering. They cut, some of them um, falling apart, close probably to their doors closing. And you just see there, and you're so sad. They, they talk about standing strong. We're, we're going we're gonna to keep faithful to the end. But they're not actually accomplishing anything for the Lord. It is appropriate, as you already said, I'm, I'm always... Uh, thrilled when there's something else in the service that, that the Lord just brings together. And Pastor Van Gelderen already talked about this. It's appropriate to ask the Lord to give us that time yet to continue to serve the Lord with the freedoms that we have, the opportunities that we have. We know that God's judgment is coming upon our nation, but it's right to say, Lord, deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into evil. Allow us to have time yet to see the gospel go forward. 
So to recap, what, what are we talking about here? It's obviously not a ritualistic prayer that we're supposed to just quote, right? We come to the Lord, we have a relationship from which we can come to him. We have the focus. It's not on things of this earth. It's on things in heaven. And that is, he has all the authority, all the power to answer our prayer request. We see that he is holy as we come before him. We want that God's future purposes to be accomplished, and we're looking forward to that. So that helps us to, to say, what about the things of today, right? When uh, Brother Braceland talks about deaf ministry, what is he preaching about? He's preaching about God's will being done on earth. These deaf people hearing the gospel. When Dr. Frampton is talking about ministry to the Jews, what is he talking about? We know good and well God's purposes in, in the long run are to deliver the nation of Israel, right? And bring them back into the standing that he intended them to be. That's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we, then we can come to him and ask, of course, for our daily needs. And we come with a spirit of forgiveness uh, for others. And we ask the Lord's grace to help us to continue to serve as long, long as he'll give us mercy to do so. To, to do it uh, to the best of our ability and all of our might.